Thank you, worship team. As the uh, kids are going, there's a lot to, to pray about, isn't there? Especially in our province these days and, uh, and around the world, it seems like there's just overwhelming amount of need. And one of the stories that came to mind as I was thinking about this was uh, when Jesus is with his disciples and all of the crowds are hungry, it's the end of the day, and he says, you give them something to eat. And they are like, this is overwhelming. Yeah, and yet he invites them to do what they can, and he gives them a task to do. And he does the really big stuff, the heavy lifting. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we, we look around us and we see needs that are overwhelming in their size and magnitude. I can only imagine what it is like for forest fire crews who are seeing fires happen on unprecedented scale that in all of their years of experience is, is charting new territory. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would recognize in this time both our utter dependence upon you Lord, how quickly everything that we invest in can be gone and destroyed. And that we might think, Lord, we might repent of the works of our hands and the abuse, abuses of your creation, the hoarding that marks too much of our lives, and that we might recognize, Lord, that you are the one who we desperately need that we need to be investing in the permanent things, in relationship, Lord, with you, on whom all of us depend. Lord, you are not only the creator, you are the one who sustains all things. And yet, so often we want to do things our way, to go directly, Lord, against your ways. You, Lord, you called us and you put us in the garden as we looked at last in last week's sermon, Lord, to be stewards, to be caretakers of it on your behalf, not plunderers. And uh, Lord, you made us to be our brother, the keepers of our brothers and sisters. Lord, I think also of, uh, of I know some of our sister churches in Kelowna that are stepping up to the call and, uh, Lord, are helping out in, in great ways, in distribution, in helping to be, helping with many people who are in need. Lord, we pray for volunteers and those that the, even the littlest things that show caring and consideration, Lord, are felt so greatly and impact so greatly. Lord, may this be a season in which, Lord, our dependence on you grows and our realization, Lord, that we need to be in sync with you also grows. And Lord, may you come to our aid and our rescue because you are the God who is merciful and powerful. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about something that is so commonplace that we often don't think much about it. Water. I was thinking of having a squirt gun and when they're spraying, I, was, <laughs> I didn't know that I would get in trouble for that. So, But water, we, we play in it. We drink it. We wash in it. Cook with it. We clean with it. Cool off in it. And generally, 
take it for granted, but we shouldn't. This clear, tasteless, odorless liquid is far more extraordinary than most people realize, and it is absolutely vital. Every known form of life depends on water to survive, whether it needs, you know, requires a drink every few hours like we do, or can go weeks, or even, as I discovered, years without taking a drink, like kangaroo rats. Go figure. <laughs> we would die in a few days without water in large part because our bodies are about 60% water, which is why I realized why I'm so heavy. I've got so much water, right? Well, maybe a few other things. I mean, we depend on water to dissolve minerals and oxygen, to flush our bodies of waste, and to carry nutrients to everywhere that our body needs them. Water is also a molecular marvel. For example, it has a very high heat capacity, which means it takes a lot of energy to heat it. More than 10 times, for example, the amount that it would take to heat iron or copper. And it must dispel, get rid of a lot of energy in order to cool. And so what it does is it acts like a giant temperature stabilizer. It keeps our planet cool in summer, relatively speaking, and warm in winter. And we on the West Coast especially get these benefits. Water is also what helps our very own bodies regulate our temperature. When we are getting overheated, we sweat or perspire. Uh, some of us seem to sweat more than others, but relatively speaking, even the heavy sweaters sweat very little than if we had to sweat a different liquid in order to cool off. We would have to sweat at least more than 10 times the amount that we do to get the same effect. And I say, and now, so if you're, you know, if you're tempted to complain when you're sweating, you know, remember it could be 10 times worse, right? And it also is one of the wonders of why water is used so much for putting out fires. Water is also unique in what it does when it turns to a solid. What does it do? It floats, right? That seems pretty normal to us. But every other substance that you can think of is denser as a solid than as a liquid. So if you had a pool of molten gold, dream big, right? And you, and you threw a gold bar in it, it would float or sink? Sink every time, right? Yeah. Now, when elements boil, they turn to gases, right? And they spread out. And when they cool, they turn into liquids and then to solids getting more condensed. So our liquefied natural gas resource, you know, so they liquefy it because it only takes up one six hundredth of the volume that it would as a gas. Then you can transport it. Well, every substance that you can think of that is a liquid at, at room temperature gets more condensed when it turns solid, with one very important exception. When water boils, it becomes a gas, steam, and it does what every other liquid does. It expands, but when water freezes, and becomes ice, 
It also expands. Ice is about 9% larger as a solid, you know, than it is in the liquid form. And that's why ice cubes so conveniently float in our glass. It's why beer cans explode if you put them in your freezer and leave them too long and, uh, and they freeze. It's why icebergs float past the coast of Newfoundland down Iceberg Alley each year, attracting hosts of tourists. This particular iceberg just kind of parked in front of one of the hotels in the community there and stayed for weeks on end. They're massive. And so we should be thanking God regularly for this wondrous exception. Because if water was, dense, was denser as a solid, our lakes would freeze from the bottom up until they were completely frozen and everything in it with them. Instead, the ice forms on the top, allowing the warmer regions down below uh, you know, to keep more heat, to avoid losing that heat. It's one of the reasons I was thinking of why my dad, when he was alive, why he took up ice fishing in his retirement. Because those fish were still active underneath the ice. Well, and thank God, water also expands when it boils. Because if it didn't, it would sink instead of evaporating. And we wouldn't have clouds or rain or any fresh water anywhere because all of our fresh water would eventually run into the sea and, it wouldn't, and we would all die for lack of thirst from water, from fresh water. And so God created water with just the right chemical properties that somehow, uh, I tried reading about how, but it's in ways that only very brilliant people seem to be able to understand and have figured out recently, that it causes it to expand when it boils and when it freezes. Reminded of Psalm 104, verse 24, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. Now, I could go on about other fascinating properties of water. It's surface tension. It's incredible power. I mean, it can move car-sized boulders and carve deep canyons. I could talk about how critical it is that we practice good stewardship of our water that God has given us. After all, only 1% of the world's water is readily available as fresh water for human consumption. 97% is salty and 2% is ice. I, I could go on about uh, also the importance, uh, you know, of helping everyone in the world have fresh drinking water, including our indigenous neighbors in many communities in our country. Water is and it has been important for everyone throughout history because we all need it for, for drinking, for cleaning, for farming and gardening. And if you think about it, these three basic provisions, drinking, cleaning, farming, point directly to our need for God. Water is a divine signpost, which is what I want us to explore this morning. Let's begin with the opening two verses of Psalm 42. I could have used Psalm 63, but Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? These few verses highlight the thirst-quenching power of water. 
The deer in this verse has been deeply longing for water because its very life depends on it, especially when it's been fleeing from hunters as the psalmist was from fleeing from his oppressors. Genuine thirst, deep thirst, is something most of us rarely experience given the abundance of safe drinking water that we have. But if you've ever underestimated the heat of a day or the length of a hike that you were going on, or both, then you know at least in part what real thirst feels like and how quickly we begin planning how to survive. And our thirst in such circumstances becomes an all-consuming obsession. You know, we begin water rationing. How much more time is there? Finding even the smallest of shade, etc. Physical thirst then becomes a signpost pointing to the psalmist's deeper spiritual thirst. For God, he says, for the living God. And that word living is the same word used of moving water, of living water, life-giving. It's a play on words that Jesus will pick up in the New Testament. The psalmist's growing desperation for God became an obsession because he knew firsthand now, at this moment, more strongly than ever, how parched and helpless he was without his maker. Jesus also picked up on this theme of physical and spiritual thirst in his conversation with the woman at the well, John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman who had come to draw water from the well, from Jacob's well, in the heat of the day. And Jesus was feeling as physically thirsty as she was. And he didn't have a container, so he asked her for a drink. But he quickly realized that her spiritual thirst was far more desperate, and he wanted her to know that he could quench that thirst, just as she could help quench his physical thirst at that moment. And this personal encounter and offer to her is actually later matched by a public encounter and offer in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, we read in verse 37 that on the last and greatest day of the festival, what festival was this? This was a a week-long festival in which they thanked God for his gifts of water when Israel was in the wilderness, for example. And they had a, a ceremony, and each day they would bring water in, in a golden jug, and they would pour it out by the altar, giving thanks to God for his provision. And now on this last day of this festival that they've been pouring out water in the temple area each day, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, John says, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive once he was glorified. Our spiritual thirst is as intense as it is, is as intense as it is, is deliciously quenched when we come to the fountain of life and drink deeply from God's Spirit. He is the one who can quench our thirst, thinking about all the other thirsts, our thirst for forgiveness, our thirst for justice, for righteousness, for friendship, for meaning, 
for purpose, for relief from whatever it is that is troubling us. He is the one who can quench the thirsts in our lives. And just as we need his thirst-quenching power in our physical and spiritual lives, we also need cleansing power. Now, over the course of a week, I use water to clean my teeth, my body, my hair, my clothes. Okay, my wife did that. But dishes, I did some of that. Uh, Car, I know we're in water restrictions, so I only did the windshield, just a little bit of water to get it clean, okay? But you know what I mean, right? Because you use water in these ways, and as one writer knows things, and many others as well. It would appear, as one writer noted, that the natural state of things in a fallen world is that they decay. So I am in a continuous battle with dirt. But this week, I thanked God that I had, my, that I had water on my side to wash away the dust and dirt and grime, the breadcrumbs and even the blackberry jam stain on my counter that I, when I had dripped it, None of these things could resist the cleansing power of me and my H2O. Amen? Hey, all right. Now, which is why cleansing power of water is so often used in the Old and the New Testament as a metaphor of and signpost, pointer to the cleansing power of God's Spirit. Ritual cleansing with water featured prominently in the Old Testament law. But it was often a signpost to our need for a deeper cleansing from sin. Jeremiah, for example, and other prophets, but have chosen him, insisted that this required the cleansing work and power of God. Jeremiah 2, 22 Although you wash yourselves with soap and use an abundance of cleansing power, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. Like, you can't wash that away. What is needed, he told them, is to wash the evil from your heart and be saved. That is why David, in Psalm 51, he cried out, Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He just committed adultery and murder and lying to cover it up. He knew his sin, he said, was ever before me. And yet, God, if you do your work, it's going to be like a brand new clean slate. And it is this deeper inner cleansing that Paul refers to in his first letter to the believers in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. It was a church, if you read that letter, it is a church stained with a lot of sin. And Paul, after he's given an illustrative list of wrongdoers that will not inherit the kingdom of God and the actions that they habitually do, he reminds the believers in Corinth, that is what some of you were, he says, in chapter 11, verse 6, or six, chapter 6, verse 11. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That is made holy. You were justified, made just as if it hadn't happened, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Amen. 
That is wonderfully good news indeed. And in Paul's letter to Titus, he explains how when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. That is the kind of deep cleaning we all need and which only our Savior can do as he washes us from the inside out through his spirit. And so God, he invites us, you know, come to me and surrender your lives for me and I will do the kind of cleaning that none of you can do on your own. I remember, uh, I think I was a teenager and somebody was giving a talk and they gave a, a visual, it was a visual demonstration. And they had a, a large glass jar. And then they uh, were talking about sin and things that we do and let into our lives. And each time they would throw in some more dirt. And then they put a, a jar on it and kind of shook it up and it was like dirty water now, right? And it's like, this is what happens to our lives. You know, when we try doing things our own way, we think, no, this is good, and we take it into ourselves. And it just clouds our relationship with God, and it creates a lot of dirt and damage. And then they said, but, you know, when we invite God's Spirit to be poured out into our lives, and took a big jar of clear water, and then took the lid off, and they had a basin underneath and just began to pour that. And as it poured, the water got clearer and clearer and clearer until uh, by the second jug, it was completely clear again. As a picture, they just wanted us to, to see this is what happens as we allow God's Spirit to be poured out into our hearts and what He is able to do from the inside out. Well, the Holy Spirit is not only a, a thirst quencher and a deep cleaner, he is water to our souls in more ways than one. Indeed, the Spirit is described in the Scriptures as life-giving rain. In many places in the world, there is a long dry season each year, longer than our dry season, which seems to be going on. And when it finally rains after a long period of drought, it is cause for great celebration because the people know that rain is life. I remember even, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure we, when, you know, when we're in a long dry season like last year, and when it finally rained in October, it's like, <laughs> you just got to go out there and experience it, right? And the smell suddenly, you know, you can smell life coming. You know, at long last, crops will grow and animals will be able to feed. Water is life-giving not only in the biological ways that we looked at earlier, but in the way, ways it transforms entire landscapes. Now, I know there's a, a contest going on, a lawn contest this summer, for the ugliest brown lawn, you know, trying to encourage you to not water your lawns, conserve water. And I know people are participating and have fun with that. But what we really want is for the life-giving rains to fall 
and transform even the ugliest brown lawns, right, into lush green ones. Without rain, nothing grows and everything turns to dust. And so it is with the Spirit of God. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2 and following, Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by gently flowing streams. The Spirit has life-giving power to transform our barren lives into the blessing of abundance. Like a a well-watered garden that we looked at last week. Could have read uh, Revelation 22, right? This picture at the end and the life-giving stream flowing down from the throne of God and watering and and watering everything and bringing it life. And so water is vital, isn't it? There would be no life on earth without it. Its remarkable properties, as we looked at, make our our whole planet like Goldilocks porridge, someone said. You know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. We depend on water to quench our thirst, to clean up all of our messes, and to make our gardens and crops beautiful and fruitful. And yet all of these watery blessings are signposts pointing to the even greater reality that brought them into the being, the source of it all. What we need most is the Spirit of God, the giver of life, through whom all things were created, through whom all things are sustained, and through whom we are cleansed and purified and given eternal life. Everyone who drinks of this water, Jesus said to that woman at the well, this water that we carry in jars and jugs and bottles, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to be thirsty again, and yet Jesus explained as he sat in the heat by a well in the heat of the day, he said to that woman, Whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Because it will be the the life-giving spirit of God that brings everything into being and sustains all things. Remember the woman's response? (laughs) Where can I get this water? And at first she's thinking, just because then I'm not going to have to come back to this well every day. But as the conversation goes on farther, she still responds when Jesus is talking about, no, from within your life, it will change you from the inside out. And she leaves her water jug behind in that story. I think John sees the symbolism of that because she has found something permanent and far greater. She has found the source that is far greater than Jacob's well and water. And she goes and she tells her whole village. And, uh, and Jesus will visit them as well as they will ask. But the question then that John wants us to know is, what is your response? 
Is there an area of your life where you need the thirst-quenching power of God's Spirit? Or the cleansing power of the Spirit? Or the life-giving power of the Spirit? And things that feel dead and, and just dry as dust. I want to invite the worship team up. And as they're coming, I invite us to pray and to just open yourselves up to God in prayer and invite God to come into the places in your life, whether it is as a thirst quencher, as a cleanser, whether it's his life-giving power. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are such a wise and amazing God. You have woven into creation's incredible signposts for us, things that we just take for granted every day and rarely do we realize how wondrous and marvelous they are, how they give us tangible experiences and pointers, Lord, to the even more amazing things that you do by your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, today for the gift of water, of refreshing water, of what it does for us physically. And Lord, we invite you by your Spirit to do even greater things on what you are able to do by your Spirit spiritually in our lives. Lord, quench our thirst for righteousness, for justice. Lord, cleanse us from sin. That's a lot. And Lord, we ask you to give us new life by your Spirit, by the power of your Spirit, Lord. And Lord, help us to share this with others who are parched and thirsty, who are in need of your cleansing and life-giving power. Amen. I've got some homework for you. I guess you guys are getting used to that, right? I want you to do this this week. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the thirst-quenching power of water and your spirit. Yeah, that's, that's one. You've got to do that every day. As you, you know, have a drink of water and say, thank you, Lord, for water. And uh, the second thing, when you go to uh, wash something, your hands or your teeth or whatever, thank God for the cleansing power. Okay? And, of course, the third thing is? Life-giving. So when you're watering, it could be an indoor plant if you don't make it outside, but, or your garden or something. Thank God for the life-giving power. Can you do that? Okay. That will, because uh, we should be, I was thinking, we should be thanking God for these every day, every day. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.